For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to the Dugout Dudes, formerly the Dodger Dudes podcast show. I am your co-host, Josh Luke, and uh, it is our honor today to have uh, uh, somebody that you all know well, and I'm going to let Brett do the introductions, but I'm really excited for this show, Brett. Yeah, super excited about this show. I don't think this guy needs any introduction more than I'm, I'm very fortunate to call him a friend of mine. You know, he's, he's as good as they come in the game. And, you know, I, I don't know what else to say, but, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to know him. And, and he's the manager of, of your Los Angeles Dodgers, Mr. Dave Roberts. Welcome, buddy. Um, fellas, it, it's good to be a part of the show. I've, uh, I've heard so much about it. So now to kind of, uh, chat with you guys a little bit, talk a little Dodger baseball, the climate of what's going on in our world. So nothing is off limits for me. Let's, let's, uh, talk, let's talk. Well, the one thing that should be off limits is this is our second attempt to interview you because, uh, Brett and I mostly me weren't capable of figuring out zoom when the rest of the world seems to have no problem with it. Right. So, <laughs> hey, hey uh, Dave, I wanted to share with you. You may or may not remember. Um, I met you because you you were generous enough to come to my brother Matt, former Dodgers baseball camp up at El Dorado High School a couple days after Christmas. I think it was just a month or so after um, the Red Sox won the World Series. So thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for coming up and supporting my brother's camp. Well, that, that's awesome, uh, Josh. And I do recall that. Um, as I recall, I think Brett went to uh, El Dorado High School I as well. Eldorado. Yeah, there right. was some, that was a feeder out there, the booms and. Yeah, and Nev, and, and I, I recall committing to that before, you know, the World <laughs> Series, and I couldn't forecast, obviously, us winning, but I wanted to follow through with that. And Matt, your brother, was a heck of a college player um, at, at the University of California, Berkeley, and, and um, played against him, admired him, and obviously got, had a big league career. So uh, all the best to him, too. Thank we, all, we almost became college uh, teammates. I desperately wanted to go to UCLA out of high school and out of junior college, but my coach was an alumni of USC and was pushing hard for me to get there. And I forced, I wasn't good enough. So UCLA <laughs> was like, no, thank you. We don't want you. But um, if I would have had it my way, we would have known each other since, since like 92. No, I, I know. And it's, it's just so funny. It's like uh, the whole sliding doors kind of thing. And, you know, we could have been teammates years prior and we ended up here together as really good friends. And, you know, it's just interesting to see certain decisions and, and that happen, but um, I guess it all works itself out. Oh, for sure. So uh, what have you been up to? <laughs> what have you been up to? I mean, like most of them, America, we're kind of all just hanging out and we're trying to be safe, but, but how's quarantine life for you? I, I think that for me, you guys, you know, Brett in particular, you know how positive I am and, and look for opportunities and more optimistic. And I think that this is a situation where um, there's nothing really we can do about things so how do you make the best of it so i think that connection communication has probably been a theme um you know with my family uh with the players coaches and i think that you know it's interesting is that you look at whether it be podcasts now that people are doing social media 
and you're seeing a lot more transparency because of lack of content being one, boredom maybe being another thing. But I think that this is an opportunity to see behind the curtain of a lot of people and see that athletes, celebrities are all real people. We all have our warts. Um, even for me personally, getting to uh, talk to players and more on an intimate level, that's been really fun for me. If, if the one silver lining out of this, I, I think it's, it's being home with the family. I mean, that's what I've really enjoyed. I think that's been the one thing that I think Americans and, and everyone are going to appreciate when this is all said and done is that we got to spend a lot of quality time with our families. No doubt. And I think that it's one of those things, and I couldn't agree more, where you look at where you're at now. And the one thing you don't want to do is as you look back at what we've all been through as a country and, and as a world, you, you, want to don't, you want to look back and say, how did I grow and how did I get better? What did I learn from this? And I think that you know, getting a reset for everyone to get back to just having a conversation, eating dinner at, at the table together, uh, because you are isolated so much. And, you know, people aren't on, on their phones as much because you have to, you're, you're forced to kind of talk and communicate, go for walks. I'm seeing people in my community, you know, keeping our social distance, but going for walks. And, and for me, I have three dogs, I look forward to going for that walk every day and trying to keep my sanity. So I'm working out, and uh, getting my vitamin D and getting my uh, energy and getting some sweat going. So that's been good, but I certainly have been doing a lot of eating and, and drinking of some <laughs> wine too. So I think everyone's playing for the tie these days. <laughs> I think everyone's put on like the quarantine 15. Um, let's get into our history a little bit. We go way back. Pretty sure you remember our first running. Do you remember? Uh, the, the first I can recall is at Wolfson Stadium in Jacksonville, double <laughs> A. You're playing for the lookouts. I got called up from uh, high A, and it was in 1996. You killed was, it right there. It was, yep. a, and I don't know where I was sitting in the lineup, but I remember, yeah, facing you on either. Uh, you guys had this big uh, something. Lions was a yeah, big, Kurt Lions. Kurt Lions. Yep. Uh, he had a good changeup. I, I think he had and, a crazy uh, like vulcan change yeah yeah yep. and, and i faced you maybe i think you might have been game two i think i was game two dude good memory i'm impressed buddy you're there getting you old and your memory's still sharp as attack there you go 1996 southern league championship unfortunately we lost you guys won um but yeah there were a lot of good players um bubba trammell frank catalanato brian moeller on our team we had aaron boone paul bacco Another guy named Pat Watkins that made the big leagues. We had a lot of talent in that uh, that championship series. I'll tell you that those minor leagues, and I spent five years in the minor leagues, and and I was drafted out of UCLA uh, in 1994, uh, signed for a thousand dollars, and um, but some of my best times were in the minor leagues, and I spent five years there, and so some of my friends to this very day and our wives, when you had no money and you're rooming with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and and those are good times. It really they really were. That was a tough league too. The Southern League was a tough league. Long bus rides. Um, I remember we went Orlando to Hagerstown. I think it was fourteen hours. That was my first real year in minor league baseball. Was the Southern League Double A, and I was like, dude, this is crazy. Like, so are you guys each going to get a mention in uh, next week's edition of The Last Dance about Michael Jordan from the <laughs> No, uh, Mike, Michael, I, was, I didn't face him. We played Bur I played uh, Mike Cameron. Mike Cameron was in Birmingham when I was in AA, who was, I thought, the best player that I'd ever seen in my entire life. I mean, he was a man amongst boys. Yeah, and I had a chance to play with Cam uh, 
with the Padres. And I mean, very few guys have hit four homers in a game, but man, I mean, he could still with that body, he could have played any one of any three big three sports. Um, and his son Daz is a, is a prospect now. I'm not sure what organization, but man, such a gifted athlete, one of my favorite teammates of all time. I'm wondering how we never played together because we, we both bounced around the national league giants, Dodgers, San Diego, and we never ended up on the same team. We were either chasing each other or one step ahead of each other, but we never played against each other. But I have faced you, Jeff Kent, and Sean Green more than all of Major League Baseball. You three are all at the top, 48 at-bats. Wow. So I think that I would have – if I wouldn't – if we'd have been teammates, Brett, I think that my average would have got to 270 <laughs> career because I was 269. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, that bad. A, a whopping no. 230 against you or whatever it is, I could have – I could have used that extra point and uh, said I was a career 270 hitter. But it is crazy because we did spend a lot of time, I mean, a lot of time at the National League West, and we just kept missing each other. Well, Dave, I have a question for you. I mean, um, <laughs> there, there's one team in particular that um, is very thankful that uh, they were replaced in the news by the pandemic, uh, and, and for, therefore it's been a crazy off season for a handful of major league baseball teams even before the pandemic, but there's a bright spot in that. And I know you're very close to this person and that is Clayton Kershaw has the opportunity to rewrite his legacy. And I, for one, am excited about that. And I don't know him uh, and his legacy. It's unfair that his legacy his playoff legacy is what it is knowing what we know now, but that's got to mean a lot to you and give you a sense of excitement that he has almost a clean slate going into the postseason this year, assuming you know, our beloved Dodgers can get back. Can you just speak to that a little bit for us? Yeah, you know, and, and I'm very sensitive to that and to the, to the player and, and Clayton being at the top of the list. And, you know, this is a first ballot Hall of Famer and to have to endure what he's been enduring as far as kind of the scrutiny and the postseason. And you look back at 17 and, and the way he threw in that first game and if it would have played out the way we would have all hoped, you know, that could have affected 18 and potentially 19. You just never know. Yeah. And um, but what he's had to endure. And so now to kind of, as you put it, a clean slate, I think that is some kind of consolation for him. Doesn't take away his, you know, the result as far as because he's such a competitor. And, um, you know, ultimately, we didn't win a championship. But I think that now the conclusions that have come out, uh, certainly, I think the media, the fans have kind of understood, you know, as, as some people put it behind the curtain, what's behind the curtain, what really happened. But, you know, you Darvish was, was victim of that, too. And, and, I, and I've been very political um, in the sense of how I've kind of voiced my opinions and thoughts. Um, but the fact of the matter is that they were uh, indicted, they were punished for, for cheating. And, and so now, um, whether you agree with it or not, it shows that something they didn't act according to the rules. So, um, hey, but our guys have done in. a good job moving on. But yeah, let me sneak in a follow up on that just because it's related. And then I know Brett's got some really good questions. But let's talk about um, Joe Kelly and Mookie and and how. So so last week, I, I don't want to say MLB slipped it under the rug because it just sounds like there wasn't a whole lot going on uh, with the players. Um, but but can you just talk about how that was addressed in spring training before spring training was closed down? So, with those two players? yeah, I, I think that obviously when, when we acquire the players, we do the trade with uh, Mookie and, and David. And uh, obviously Joe's with us, uh, you know, last year. And so we do the trade. And 
as we go into spring training, there's a lot of talk about 17, 18 potentially. And I guess to be honest with you, after the the Mookie David trade, I was hoping that nothing really came out because I think that it's not going to change history and going forward, I didn't want it to bleed into 20. And so you don't want to, you're, I was concerned about the dynamic potentially affecting our clubhouse. So um, obviously it took a lot longer than we had expected because of the pandemic and, and other things. So right now, you know, I guess that the video guy, you know, takes the, the brunt of it. Alex is suspended for the season. Uh, there's no foul play that's turned up for the postseason of 18. So I think for me, you know, whether you believe they didn't use or, or cheat during the postseason as was found guilty during the regular season, that's everyone's thought, uh, you know, come to their own consensus. But for me, it is what it is. And, and you know, I'm just happy that Mookie, David, Joe weren't implicated in any way. I'll tell you what I think. I think you're being very political, and I think I don't think that I don't think the penalty was harsh enough. I don't think the penalty was harsh enough with the Astros nor the Red Sox. I mean, they blatantly. We talked. We did a lot of shows on this at the end of the season of of the playoffs, and then after the World Series, um, and especially when when the allegations came out. And it's not right. You cross a line. Every, the, everyone's looking for a little bit of advantage, whether it's a, a pitcher getting a little pine tar or you know, a hitter seeing shadows or, or, or anything Brett's with a catcher. You never use pine tar either. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you exactly where I put, I'll tell you exactly where I put it. I'm telling you 80% of pitchers out there, they got some stickiness on them somewhere. It just, it is what it is. And, and, but when you go to that degree and you're implementing cameras and live feeds, you've kind of broken the code in my opinion. And I don't think, you know, I don't think they're going to strip away a World Series. Would have had set, would have have set a precedent. Of course, it would have. Would I would have scared other teams for ever trying to do it again? Of course, it would have. That's just me. I'll, oh. I, I'm trying to think inside your head a little bit. I, I love it. I I, I love the uh, the honesty. Um, you know, to back up, I think that obviously the pine tar with pitchers. I think that it's it's used uh, a lot. I think that um, a lot of it is also safety. There's an advantage, but there's also a safety issue as far as Arizona, Colorado. You can't feel your That's when I started and, using it, Colorado. And, and as a hitter, it's like, hey, use the pine tar because at least I know you know where the ball's going. I'll, <laughs> I'll, and then I'll take my chances. Um, and I do think that people use advantage, you know, whatever they, competitive advantage they can get. I, and also I think that it is one of those things where – uh, you start doing something and then you look back and you go, man, I didn't realize how far the line we moved that line. Um, but one thing I will point out, and I am very bullish on this, is that if you do know what's coming, that 100% effect, uh, affects uh, the outcome of an at-bat, let alone uh, a game or a series. And that doesn't have to be one for one as far as a hit a homer or a strikeout or whatever but this is like pitches log spoiling pitches getting pitch right. counts using different pitchers so everyone can debate you know what the punishment was or wasn't but anyone that says that you really don't know the outcome because you don't know what would have happened I, I just and i know i played the game and i've talked to pitchers who'd said i'll take a guy that was using steroids any day in the batter's box versus somebody that knows exactly what pitch I'm going to throw up. There. Well, li listen, when we get to spring training, right, we go out there and we're throwing live BP and there was those pitchers that, you know, we, it was up to us. Do you want the L screen or do you not want the L screen? And I said, listen, if, if the catcher will call pitches, I'll take the L screen away 
because if the hitter knows exactly what I'm throwing, I'm scared for my life because, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in tip top form yet. And those, the hitters have an advantage if they know what's coming. So yeah, if the hitter's going to know, leave the L screen up. If they don't know, yeah, we'll take it away because I have the upper hand. And then if you, you know, multiply that times a hundred in a, in a world series game, of course it makes a difference. I would yeah, never and, want anyone. And, and I'll tell you this is that I had success against Kurt Schilling when I faced him uh, when we played against each other and he was one of the best in baseball. And the only reason I had success with him is because he tipped his pitches. And so this is not cheating. This is me looking at the glove and Sean green was one of the best I've ever played with. So when his glove was flared or rounded, it was going to be that split that he had. And then when it was flat on the back side of his hand, there was a heater. So when, when I knew that that glove was rounded, I could sit back and look for something in the high upper eighties instead of the mid nineties. And if it was down at my knee, start at my knees, it was going to be a ball. And if I didn't know that I wouldn't have had this success and you know, other guys. So that's kind of my point being is if you know, what's coming, it gives you a much better chance. So when we post this on the internet, we'll say Dave Roberts says BS on Astros winning world series. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. So uh, let's talk a little bit about spring training. Cause you guys were so close to the season starting. Um, how do you think you guys were shaping up? There was a, a couple additions, like we said, Mookie Betts, um, Jock Peterson, almost getting traded and not getting traded. Um, you know, how is that all going to shape out? How is Jock going to be used as the season started? Or, or do you think he still might not have been a Dodger um, by the time the season went? I think that once that thing fell through the tra trade with the Angels, I think that uh, we were prepared on moving forward with Jock. And I think a lot of it was made about Jock being unhappy and, and you know, being blindsided. And, and I think that, Brett, you were traded numerous times. I, I was traded. And so anytime you're in the trade rumor mill or you are traded it's a gut punch and, and i think that because a lot of people look at it as you're not wanted but you don't really especially, look at especially it. that first one that's right that's right yeah. and, and and this is the only organization that he's known but you also have to look at it from the sense of you're being wanted by somebody else right. and you're looking at who you're getting traded for so i think that jock understands the business of it but i think that the personal side where he was comfortable he's always been comfortable in la so his friends his teammates and all that stuff but once we got past that it was fine and and the way that we melded this spring was was great so when and if we do get back to baseball i'm pretty op optimistic so he yeah, had a career year partially last year as a leadoff hitter and here you guys bring in not only one of the best players in baseball but somebody who's very comfortable in the leadoff spot so do you see him being used differently than last year uh, just in that regard or still a platoon or what are your thoughts on that? I think that as far as right versus left, I think it's a platoon situation. And I think that's one part of it is who we have on our roster that I feel give us, you know, to be quite frank, a better opportunity against a left-handed pitcher. And um, you know, whether it's Kike or Chris Taylor. Um, so to give them opportunities, AJ Pollock. And so, so that's one thing. And then now when you bring in one of the best players in baseball who we've talked and says he feels that he can be at his best when he's hitting at the top of the order to see pitches, to get on base, to score 115, 20 runs, that's something you have to listen to as a manager. So I do think that moving Jock somewhere in the middle of the order gives him an opportunity to drive some run more runs in. But his uh, propensity to hit right-handed pitching has never been in question. Here's something we, we talked about quite a bit with Jock. I will say inability to hit right-handers. You know, he struggled. 
In, or left-hander, sorry. Inability to hit left-handers. He struggled. Do you think if he was on a different team and had more looks and say, you're, hey, you're our everyday left fielder, you're our everyday center fielder, you're hitting against everybody. I mean, eventually you would imagine he's going to figure it out a little bit more. It's just a situation in L.A. You guys you know, have the luxury of being so deep and so talented and so many options where you can platoon people. You know, do you think if he saw left-handed pitching consistently all the time that he'd figure it out? Yeah, I, I, I uh, figure it out. Uh, I think he'd be better. Better. And okay. I think that the thing is, though, is that when you're talking about a ball club, I think that what fans, which makes this great game so great or any game, is you look at teams and then on the micro, you, you start talking about players and their individual situations. But as a manager, your job is to look out for the best interests of the ball club. And so whether Jock plays left field that particular night or doesn't take those 225 at-bats against a left-handed pitcher, somebody is taking them. Right. And so there's going to be production. So for me, I can't look at it from the lens of just Jock Peterson. I've got to look at it from the lens of every single player to ultimately make a decision. And I still believe that the body of work, albeit a platoon situation, is better for the Dodgers and – getting days of recovery, getting the right matchup for guys, keeping guys involved and letting guys play. I do think that if you look at the last four years, we've been as good, if not better than anybody in baseball, as far as percentage um, from the pitch, pinch hitting standpoint. And because our guys essentially play every day and they stay current and relevant, and that's helped that. Oh, Dave, was it your first year as the Dodgers coach that, that Jock actually got sent down for the second half of the year because he was struggling? Then he came back up, and in the World Series was huge, right? So that's one of the things I love about the culture that you've been a part of and helped create. You see Alex Wood, he couldn't wait to come back to put the Dodger blue on. I've been my favorite guy. I love Max Muncy because Brett, you know, like my brother, we're grinders. We love grinders on this show. And the Dodgers is just full of grinders. And one of the questions I actually had a buddy ask me, uh, we did, I did, I said, Hey, we might get uh, doc. Oh, we might get doc on the show. What do you want to ask? He says, the Dodgers are always bringing up these rookies that just go right into the starting lineup and start raking and hit walk-offs. And here comes Max Muncy, who is a career minor leaguer and he's a two year, 30 home run guy. So can you speak to a little bit to what the Dodgers do in the system that might be a little different? Cause that's awesome as a fan to see those guys come up and go right into the lineup. Well, that that's a, uh you just alluded to a couple things that are probably the biggest compliment you can give to uh, an organization and, and me as a manager. And, and I say that because sure. um, number one, one of the first things I told our team is I want the, the gritty tough. It doesn't matter who's in the stands and we might see it as a nobody in the stands <laughs> where we play, what time, what time, time of year, uh, spring training, postseason. we play a certain amount of baseball and, we need to play every game with, with uh, intent and conviction. And so underneath that beautiful white Dodger uniform that I see in the background and both your uh, screens right now, you want that gritty, tough, hard-nosed player that when you're playing in Los Angeles, it's Hollywood, it's great weather, it's Dodger Stadium, the, the playing surface is perfect. But sometimes that uh, bleeds to, uh, translates to uh, complacency. Uh, there is bickering bickering and other Dodger teams in the past. And it just, it takes away from the folks of winning a baseball game. And our guys are very tough and you guys are seeing that. Um, and as far, as far as like the young guys coming in, I think it's a culture that we have in place now where 
you know, using guys and the best player is going to play. It's about the team and the young players have got to be helped by the old players. The old players got to help the young players. And I remember when Brett came up, I came up, there was, you know, there was a separation uh, of church and state, you know, it's like veterans, young players and the hazing and, you know, you got to make your way and earn your way. But now it's kind of, Hey, we want everybody to be their best. And how do you go about that? You let people feel comfortable. And so for Will Smith to come up, Verdugo and all these different guys, Beatty, Max Muncy three years ago was on his couch. And now to be an all-star to get a multi-year deal with the Dodgers, it's crazy. And, and I'm proud of that. Well, I think, go ahead. ahead. I think, I mean, I think it starts with the coaching staff from the top to the bottom. So I know you do a great job in spring training. Um, you know, and I, I had a few managers a little bit like you. They try to make it more of a family. Joe Girardi with the Yankees, uh, we did a lot. We did excursions. There was a spring training uh, day we got there. He said, nobody get dressed. We're going on it. We're getting on a bus. And we went to a pool hall and had a pool tournament and stuff like that. And that was the year that, that um, the Yankees won the World Series. You know, you bring them together. You, you make it more than just, hey, you're showing up and you're playing baseball games. And I think you do a good job of that. Um, I wonder for you, knowing you and knowing – the reputation you have and how nice you are. And Joe had a problem with this too. He had to really draw a line between being somebody's friend and being the manager. How do you separate that with, you know, you got a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that you knew as a player. I mean, they're starting to be a little bit of turnover, but you know, you're such a nice guy. You want to hang out with the guys. You want to go have dinner with the guys, but you have to make that separation. How hard is that for you? Well, it, it, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a work in progress. And I say that because as a player, you have the players and then when you become i did some tv and radio and so then you're really on the outside as far as outside the clubhouse your media essentially and then when you go to coaching what i loved about coaching is you get to be a part of a team and you coach a certain amount of players so when i came to the padres and i was the outfield first base coach it was great i had the position players and you talk base running and you got the outfielders and then i go to the bench coach and your kind of your scope gets bigger and you don't have you have relationships but you're the second in command and when you become the manager your job duties and become so vast that ironically what you wanted what got you into coaching you do the least of and that's kind of the interaction with the players so I do try to spend time with each player every single day but those relationships when you're the manager it's just different and the position of coach you can do it um, the pitchers with the pitching coach the hitters with the hitting coach they're tight and they're like friends and and that's great but the manager um, it, it, it's <laughs> definitely different Joe Girardi and I, we, uh, he was my catcher in St. Louis. Like he was my all time catcher. I got hot with him and Tony was super, super superstitious. And so Tony was like, Joe, you're catching him every game. And so Joe and I on the planes would sit next to each other. We'd play cribbage. There were even flights where my wife came on and I'd push my wife to the side and Joe and I would play cribbage the whole flight. And then when I get to New York, he's the manager and there was a different vibe. Like, and he had to separate it. It wasn't, Hey, we're pals. We go to dinner all the time, but like, Hey, I'm the manager. You're the player. Now we're still friendly, but there's still that, that division of, I have to do my job and I have to make the decisions. And I, I got to keep it as professionalized as I can, because there might be a day when I have to release you, which he ended up having to do. But you know, I, I, I always thought it was a hard thing for Joe and I didn't understand it quite as much as I do now knowing you and what you have to do. Hey, we've all been around the house for now a few weeks, maybe. Um, I'm getting a little tired of betting on uh, what time my kids' Zoom classroom meetings are going to get over or what type of frozen dinner we're going to make. 
But with no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. But Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. But sports aren't totally done. There's still a ton of other stuff. Esports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee, and their $750,000 poker series. There is still fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, and I, and I think that you know every manager you know handles people differently, but I, I think that one thing that I, I try to be is true to myself, and I try to think about the player first, and that's in all things I do. So there's many times where you know I'm upset about something, and and I hold it in, and I'll address it with the player, you know, underneath in the clubhouse or behind the dugout, and I understand nowadays you learn quick that the camera's always on you and they're looking for a reaction and no one likes to be embarrassed. And so I think that I'm very mindful of that. And I think that people, I guess, take exception to that sometimes, but I'm not about embarrassing a player. Um, Anybody that's been around me, any extended period of time knows the fire that compete that I have. Um, But I think that when you start kind of going on a rant, you make it about yourself and there's time certainly to get upset, but um, and I pick my spots. I do, but, but I think the, the barometer should be how our guys go about playing each day. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll hang my hat on the way our guys do that. Day well, in, day I think out. it's, so, I think it's so hard now with social media too, because social media is out there. Everything is instant, everything, whatever happens in a game, it's literally posted during the game. And whether you make a move and, you know, there's a confrontation in the dugout of someone not agreeing with you and disagreeing, it's going to be posted. Like, in minutes so I think it's we live in a different world than when you and I came up last year with with everything went down in the world series and you caught a lot of criticism for for things that happened how do you handle that um and not let that get to you you know it's it's one of those things that it's you you can't take things personal um I think that is funny is that last year I think that I was being criticized for you know taking a starter out and um then AJ Hinch I think uh, left the starter in too long and, and then his starter gave it up and, you know, it just, it's, it's baseball. That's the thing is that it's a lot of it is, is, you know, you look back um, and you criticize, but, and I think a lot of the things that take momentum is the things when they don't work out, but when they do work out, <laughs> you're a genius. That goes, when they work uh, out. Yeah. But that's not talked about. So that's kind of the, the life where we're at right now. Um, but yeah, you just can't take it personal. And I, and I do, I think I do a good job of minimizing the noise because I, I am very process driven and I've learned that, but cause I think that, you know, as sports fans, what makes sports fans is emotion and passion and you can't ever lose that. And that's what it is about being a fan. But I think that when you're on the field, you're making decisions. No one wants to win, you know, more than me. My job is on the line. Right. So obviously, uh, you know, in life, in any industry, people are taking information from all parts of people, you know, as far as the CEOs, the board, you know, you've got the analytics side in baseball, everyone's getting information. And now it's my job to kind of disseminate and to make a decision. And I think that with the process, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but I can't listen to the noise and affect decision making. So you talk about making decisions. Um, 
you know, with Jansen's struggles last year, um, there were so many people that wanted him pulled out and not, and not be the closer anymore. Um, was there a point within the organization, um, you know, the tops and you where you're like, Hey, how long are we going to do this? Are we going to pull the ripcord or is he our guy? How did that all go down? Because I know there are a lot of Dodger fans, a lot of our friends, a lot of listeners on this podcast were like, get him out. We don't want him, trade him, release him, whatever. But you know, when that's your guy and that's your, you know, one of the faces of the organizations, it's not as easy as just saying, Hey, you're out. We're getting rid of you. What, what, oh, what was no. the mind it, thought through that? <laughs> it's not as easy. And it's <laughs> funny is that you look back, whether it's, Pedro Baez and everyone wanted him out. He's getting booed at home. And then, then he's, people are calling for him to be the closer. And then people wanted to run Joe Kelly out after May. And then everyone loved him throughout the summer. And then they were off him, you know, in game <laughs> five. So um, they were saying the same thing about Jock. And it, it's just, it's interesting how it works. But I think that for us, you've got to kind of stay the course because that's why, you know, baseball is a long, is a long season. And I think that, you know, people talk about the analytics with the Dodgers, but we do a lot of, of, of the human side of things as far as betting on people and, and trusting them and seeing that and hoping and betting on them to come out of their slumps or whatever it might be. Um, you know, even Justin Turner was struggling, you know, a couple of years ago and you keep sticking with them and, and he pulls out of it. That's just kind of what we believe in. But I think that it is nice when the front office and I, we have that communication, but Brett, yeah, there's things that they recommend to me and people always want to say, oh, is, are they right in the lineup? There's always right. thing that are, things that are brought to me. Corey Seager plays eight days in a row. We got to be careful. We don't want him to get hurt. Doc, can you take a look at this? And maybe on that eighth day, give him a blow. Or, you know, he's played six days in a row. We're up 10 to two. Give him a couple innings of a blow. What do you think about that? And then I think back and I go, that makes sense. Or third time through, so-and-so has a 950 OPS against him. Yeah, he might be throwing well that day. If I start seeing things kind of teeter, that information that I've got before, I've got to, you know, think long and hard if it makes if I should take him out or kind of stay with him. Yeah, I don't think people really understand all that goes into it. It's not just you sitting in the office, writing the lineup card, and that's it. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of voices um, and it's up to you to decipher all those voices and be respectful to, you know, the president and the GM and the owners. But ultimately, you know, it all is going to fall on you and you're going to get the criticism more than anyone. So, you know, it, I don't think people understand there's there's more that goes into it than, oh, Dave's just doing this. Dave's just doing that. And, and I was very vocal about that when it came down to the end of the season and the criticism you got. We had a whole podcast of me getting mad at fans and telling them don't be Dodger fans anymore if they didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I said that stop wearing blue and wear red and go be an Angels fan. So um Yeah, I wanted to ask a question about uh kind of along those lines. Um it's been told that that Alex Wood in the 17 series um changed the signs uh every inning. And if that's true, were you involved in that and how come the others didn't? I, I think that's a valid question a lot of people have put to me because as Brett said we were talking about the scandal before it broke, Dave, believe it or not, because Jerry Hurston was our guest. And he said the same thing that you said about Sean Green, about his buddy Alex Cora, that he's just good at, at, at picking up the tips. Well, we learned there was more to it. But I think that's a, a great question. Did you know that, that Alex Wood was doing that? And I think that that might have been the only game that um, that catcher was playing. So talk to us a little bit about that. So Alex, 
Alex was a guy that did change signs and, and use multiple signs with nobody on base. And he actually, he threw a heck of a ball game and players are like anybody. They can be, some can be open. Some can be very stubborn and you can tell a pitcher, um, you know, I mentioned Kurt Schilling and you could, the pitching coach or the manager could have told him he was tipping and he says, I don't care. I still think that they can't hit my pitches. I can't change what I do. That was, and that so, was Brad. That was Brad Penny. Right. He tipped all his splits. And we said, Brad, you're tipping your splits. I said, I don't care. That's right. Uh, and, yeah. I don't care. They're not going to hit it anyway. And so that's the thing is that I know that we had conversations. I didn't know the extent of what the Astros were doing. Um, but obviously when you're talking about, pitchers against them in prior series that are using multiple signs and nobody on base, not just on second base, you know, there's something going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I know Clayton didn't feel comfortable doing it with nobody on base and maybe in retrospect, he would have, but what I loved about that too, Dave, is I believe the years all run together now for me is I watch every game on my backyard couch here in Orange, Orange County, but wasn't Alex Wood in my estimation, he, if, if, if the Cy Young was voted for at the All-Star break, he was the Cy Young. He was dominant in the first half. Wasn't that 2017? He, he was dominant. He was dominant. And you look back and there were some issues with him tipping his pitches. Um, I remember in Arizona where he had some of the best stuff he's had and he, he couldn't get out of the third out. inning. Yeah. And so um, there's things that, you know, certain times guys feel whether it's you're a hitter and your hands are in a certain place and, you know, and you just want to lower them a little bit, but they just can't do it. Or the pitcher starts with their glove at their belt or versus their chest. And it's like, I just can't do it. And that's just the way that the world works. We're creatures of habit. Some things don't feel comfortable. It changes everything. Um, I want to talk a little bit about analytics. There's a couple things and there's a new rule change and I'm really wondering how you're going to handle yeah, this. I got um, this question. <laughs> <laughs> the analytics it's, it's taken over the game. We've talked a little bit about it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of gone off the deep end and there's so much information out there. We've talked to some players, uh, current players and, and their opinion of it. Um, do you think it's gotten to the point where it's too much or do you think it's a, a good situation for the game right now? Or, or what do you think about that stuff? I, I think it's, I think it's great. I, I, I don't, I absolutely don't think it's too much. I think that, um, I think it's kind of how you frame things. Cause if you're looking at, Again, I kind of liken it to industries across the world and where information, whether you're Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, um, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, data, information, facts are imperative. And, and now it's how you get it to the coaches, to the players, but there's not any leader of any organization, industry, company that doesn't want information. And so how you kind of sift through it to see what's pertinent, what's not, and also use your coaches, your eyes, your gut, and all that stuff to then make a decision. I just think that in, in baseball, where it's a sport that's very tradition driven, which is great. Um, there's just been a lot of resistance to that word analytics. And I think that when you look at it as facts, We've all, some of the things that when we were young kids looking at box scores, those are facts. And so when you're talking about Brett Tomko likes to throw his cut fastball with two strikes, and now you can quantify it where it's a certain percentage. Now, those are facts. But I knew when guys, there are times when they were going go to go to home plate, the, whether the pitcher was a 1-3 or 1-4, or he didn't throw over more than two times in a row. That's analytics. 
and where guys hit the baseball consistently. You can kind of, whether you're Ozzie Smith or Gary Templeton or Barry Larkin or Corey Seager, you use your eyes to see where the tendency is, but now we just have it that's more tangible. And so I just don't see how that's a negative. How often do you go against the analytics and go with your gut? I mean, every day, every, every day. day, every day. I think, I think a lot of the criticism you get is, is, oh, he's too by the book. He's too by the analytics. And, and, and I don't think those are the people that know baseball enough to know that like, well, that's not what you would do if you're going all analytics. That's, that's a decision made where he's, he's playing his gut. This is so what here's the thing. It was from the very beginning when I took this job and they parted ways with Don Mattingly and Andrew and, and Farhan were the, the, the running the baseball operations from day one, whoever the manager was, was going to be deemed as a puppet, no matter who he was. So now it's just something that I, I've just got to deal with. I know what's real, what's not real, but there's a narrative that was built from the very beginning. So whether I take a pitcher out for, because he's not throwing well, it's, he's, it's analytics, whether <laughs> he takes, he takes him out and he does well, there's nothing to be said. It's never, it's always when it goes bad, it's my, it's the analytics. And then when I do something that goes against Mm -hmm. analytics, then, Oh, he should have used analytics. So you can't win and you can't play that game. So I've kind of, uh, I'm at a peace with that. Right. And the guys that, whether you're the coaches, the players, they understand what, what's going on. I'll give you some analytics. Dave Roberts in OO counts, wouldn't swing 97% of the time. This was the analytics we used to get. That's what I really want. I wanted to know counts. That's um, right. Dave would, would take 97% of the time. So I, I remember this like it was yesterday. We're in San Francisco, your first AB, you come up, catcher puts down first pitch curveball. And I go, he doesn't swing. So you know, I shake him off, throw a fastball, doesn't swing. You come up with a runner on second base, and I'm thinking he doesn't swing 97% of the time. First pitch, puts down a fastball, laser in the gap. Right center. Or, <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. You got it. So yeah. that's what I think of analytics. Sometimes you just got to go with your gut. Like, hey, you know, runner on second, you know, he may be coming trying to drive this running. Got to Dave, can you speak to how you picked that 3%? Because I know my brother came up with Jeter. They were roommates for three or four years, and Jeet was a lot like that. But it was almost as if he knew when he was going to. It was almost like it was on his calendar. Can you speak to how you took when you chose well, that 3%? He chose it against me, which I'm not happy about. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you knew you were analytical. I'd like to hear the answer, though. I, I think for me, is that, and it's funny, is that I think I could have been a much better player if I would have really had the analytics in the sense of understanding the value. I think that for me, it was more of see pitches, get on base, take a walk, steal a base. Um, but I think if I would have been more aggressive in understanding the first pitch is sometimes the best pitch you're going to get to hit. I was more aggressive, which still wasn't aggressive with runners in scoring position to Brett's point. But overall, I think I could have been a more dangerous and a better player if I would have kept that pitcher honest more often. All right. I got one more question about that. And then we're going to ask a little bit about um, maybe the upcoming, uh, uh, maybe upcoming season. Um, the new rule about uh, pitching changes. Where yeah. a pitcher has to to face three batters, how is that going to change? Because you're notorious for matching up, um, maybe from the fourth, fifth inning on in, in some situations. How is that going to affect? Whether I, I personally don't like the rule, um, but it it definitely has to make you think a little bit different. Um, well, I will say this: is you look at the last four years, we've led Major League Baseball in starting pitching, so we're, we're doing something right. Um, as far as the rule, um, I, I don't mind it. It is a rule. Uh, 
I think that it actually helps the Dodgers in the sense of we have more guys that can get lefties and righties out and not essentially specialists. And so um, when you're looking at other clubs that build their bullpens on right-handed specialists or left-handed killers, where you have to pay for guys that can get both out. So I think that for us, it's going to benefit us to get through three hitters. Um, so we'll see. Um, I, I think that that's something that I'm really anxious to see. And I think that, you know, for this season, the DH league wide, I'm hopeful that that might help happen because it'll, protect the pitchers as far as swinging the bat. It'll also lend itself to our depth and putting an extra hitter in there. Um, so we'll, we'll see. There's going to be some different rules, um, but I think we'll be just kind of special and unique just to 20. Let so, me ask one more question, Brett, before we go yeah. to strategy, because this is the one that I've been told you I've been, been for a year I want to talk to Doc about, which is, you know, when you got hired by the Dodgers, my favorite team, I watch every game love them, live and die with them. I was like, oh, cool. Maybe we're going to run a little bit. And that hasn't been the case. But but uh, what I've learned is it's not necessarily probably just a reflection of the personnel that you inherited, but also um, Eric Burns actually pointed this out when he was our guest. I asked him how come he went from 17 steals to 50 when he went from Oakland to um, Arizona. And he said, there's two answers because in sabermetrics, you don't steal unless you're hundred percent sure you're going to be safe. And because my new manager said every time he gets first steal second, I'd love to hear from you. Is it one of those or the other that the Dodgers don't steal often, or is it a little bit of both or is it something different? Um, I, I think that it's a combo. Um, I think that number one, it's the personnel, um, you know, and, and I think that I heard, I was a guy that stole bases. So, sure. um, I love the little ball, the, the hit and run, but when you have a lot of left-handed hitters, and so let's go to the hit and run because I get that a lot too. So to have guys that swing and miss and the guys that can't steal a base, and now when you're going to get a runner in motion and to give make Max Muncy or, or Cody Bellinger swing the bat and have to swing the bat and at any pitch to protect a runner – that potentially as a hit and run, you hit it the other way. It just doesn't make any sense, the risk versus reward. And then now you're talking about right-handed hitters with left-handed pitchers. So that's not a good play because if you get, you're going to get a bad jump. And so now if that hitter doesn't get it, doesn't put the ball in play, you're out at second base. You're giving away an out. And now the hit and run, we don't have guys that typically can hit the ball to right field. So now you're talking about, do they have the skill set to do that as far as the offhand? And so now the stolen base, we don't have base dealers. Our best runner is probably Cody Bellinger. And now, again, you're talking about an MVP player. So the potential to steal a base and to break his hand, his finger, you got to understand that, yes, he has the skill set to do that, but there's a cost to everything. Sure. And so the value of having him take 600 plate appearances for me is a no-brainer than to get 15 to 17 stolen bases and you're talking about the wear and tear on the body and it's all nice when eric burns can steal 50 bases but if he would have blown out after 20 and blew his shoulder out then that conversation would be completely different and we can look back now and say cody was an mvp so there's that a, there, the it's, next it's year a, for eric that did happen the next year is what he said right? and, and see and, but that's the thing is that people and again fans are passionate and i love that i can I can talk to you guys about this stuff all day long, but I, this is where I appreciate the conversation and not just spouting off at the mouth when there's really no logic or common sense behind it. Sure. 
Right. Well, no one's ever uh, um, accused us of having common sense. So you're the first. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Um, let's talk about the two, 2020 season. Um, are you as managers in the loop of what's going on with Major League Baseball, the Players Union, the owners? Um, because there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of different scenarios. Um, I even heard about going to Japan. Um, you know, the latest is three different divisions. Uh, you know, splitting it between Arizona and Florida. What What do you know about it that you can tell us? Um, and what do you think is going to happen? Well, um, I, I think I know a little bit. I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I don't have a date. I don't think anyone really has a date. You know, that's kind of contingent upon the government, the president. Um, there's a state-to-state -state situation, obviously, that we're all being mindful of. Um, you know, we talked about that, that, kind of got a little bit of a uh, little bit of momentum that three th three city hub situation um, with the 10 teams in each city I think that that makes sense I do think that it's I'm encouraged because uh, both sides players MLB are motivated to play I think that we're all sensitive to what's going on with this pandemic but I also think that baseball we need baseball i think that as a diversion as can be therapeutic to get in our homes um you know it gets back to my dad telling me that he used to huddle around with his siblings and watch the base the game of the week and now everyone's kind of quarantined so it'll be fun to kind of see that but i don't know when i know that there's going to be crazy rule changes um no fans is what i would expect to start that season that's going to be tough um, you know, you we talked about Korea did cardboard cutouts. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, you know what? I, I have, I have seen that <laughs> and uh, I don't know if we're going to go that uh, aggressive, <laughs> but I, it's pretty interesting. We they, can kind of bring in volume too with the, yeah. with the crowds. So rolling. I was going to say home field, they should have like volume when base hits, the crowd goes a little bit more crazy. That's That'd right. be great. You have, cause I, I, I told uh, on one of the podcasts when I was playing independent ball towards the end of my career, we were in Bridgeport. And I told this whole story, but we had a long rain delay. Um, and by the time we started the game, no fans. They had sent everyone home, but we had to get the game in because we didn't go back to Bridgeport. And we played a game with no one in the stands. And it was the most bizarre thing I've ever been a, a part of because there's no, there's a different emotion. You don't get that adrenaline rush from 50,000 people screaming or booing at you. So it's going to be interesting for you guys um, to, to have that happen. Um, the logistics of the players and the coaches and the families talking about isolating, um, having to stay at hotels, you know, how much is that going to come to the players? I know the players want to play, but I've heard some pushback from a couple of the Cubs, Chris Bryant uh, and, and Rizzo saying they just had kids. Like, you know, they can't expect us to leave our, you know, four, four week old baby for four months. No, and, and I and I agree with that sentiment. I think that that's something where a lot of ideas are thrown out and have been thrown out, and that just gained traction, which shouldn't have. And you know, Clayton was uh, was uh, vocal too in saying that I'm not going to leave my three kids, you know, in quarantine by myself without my family. So I just don't think that that was realistic. I don't think the commissioner would have wanted that anyway. So there, there's a, there's a middle in there somewhere. But the idea of guys not being around their families for a few months, I just really don't see happening. Yeah, that's tough. Um, hopefully it all, you know, this kind of gets past us. We all start getting healthy around the country and, you know, this all gets back to normal. Cause I know I want to see baseball. You want to see baseball. Everybody wants to see baseball. Um, if it doesn't happen, um, Mookie Betts, you guys trade for Mookie Betts 
and he may never play a regular season game for the Dodgers. How is that? Has there, you know, any conversations with you and him about maybe next year or, or something panning out where you'd love to have him back? You know what? I, I, I we'd certainly, it'd be very disappointing for everyone. Um, I, I don't think that you can go back and say we shouldn't have done it because you don't know. You only know what you know at that point in time. So for us to do the deal, we felt good about it. Um, um, as far as Mookie, I think that he would be disappointed because once he became a Dodger, he was certainly looking forward to, you know, suiting up with us. And uh, we missed Jackie Robinson Day. I know he talked to me about that in spring training. Um, but as far as me talking to players about their careers going forward, I really don't. I, I think that that's something for them, uh, their agent, their family to kind of discuss. And I never want to be that guy who is just looking for my own best interest because I think it is a bigger decision. Um, especially when you're talking about a player of that caliber. And I think it goes without saying um, how much I would want him. So I don't think that I would, I would never want to kind of lobby um, unless he, I mean, maybe, maybe when this all fit, take him to dinner, say, Hey Mookie, like, what do you think? <laughs> 2021, <laughs> here's a bottle yeah. of head stitch for you. Come back. Once we get past the season. Um, and then there is that time, certainly there might be some whining and I'll break them, give them my best bottle of wine. <laughs> all right. Um, Josh, you got any more uh, hard-hitting yeah, questions for David? Just ask the one quick question, um, Dave. Um, Garrett Cole, w w did the Dodgers ever have a shot? Because it seemed to me that the Dodgers made their offer, and then the first Yankee counter, he said, I've wanted to be a Yankee my entire life, and here's a picture of me when I was 13 at the World Series with a sign that says Yankee for life. <laughs> um, do, do you feel like that was the case or that you guys were really in the conversation? Well, I, I, I'd like to think we were in the conversation. Um, I've known Garrett since he was at UCLA. Um, but ultimately he went to a place he wanted to, to be. And, you know, for us, we want people that want to be Dodgers. Um, I know we put our best foot forward and if anything to uh, raise that number up for the Yankees, I think we did that. Yeah. Um, but you know what? He landed where he wanted to be and, um, say la vie. There you go. <laughs> All right. We have uh, one more thing. We usually play a game. Um, with every guest. Um, so you have one of the biggest stolen bases in Red Sox histories, if not of all time. So the game we're going to play is called I'd Steal That. So I'm going to give you a choice of two things, and you're going to tell me which one you would want. All right. This is considering stealing is not illegal. Okay. Fair. First one, sports car or truck? Sports car. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, peanuts or Cracker Jack? They're going to get a little bit harder as we go. Peanuts or Cracker Jacks? Peanuts. Okay. Dodger dog or Mexican food? Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beach house or house on a vineyard? Beach house. Really? I didn't yeah, expect I I, that day. I, I love the beach. And people don't know that you are part of a, uh, a wine label, Red Stitch Wine. That's where I thought you were going to go with that. I, I, I love the vineyard. I, I love the vines, um, but the smell of the ocean. And I'm a Southern California guy. So I, I, that ocean, man, I can always take trips to, to Napa. Okay. You played for the Red Sox. You're the manager of the Dodgers. Um, you need to sign a player's contract for either the Yankees or the Angels. Yankees. <laughs> Yankees. All right. Um, okay. The most expensive bottle of wine ever. Screaming Eagle Cabernet 1992 valued at $500,000 or 50 cases of red stitch wine. I'll take the Screaming Eagle. 
Um, <laughs> I can always get more red stitch. That that screaming eagle. I'm in on the screaming eagle. Okay, I had some 97. That was amazing. Okay. Uh, Kershaw curveball or Jansen's cutter? Um, God, when they're both right, I'll take I'll take Clayton's curveball. Okay. Uh, Mike Trout or Albert Pujols in their prime? Mike Trout. Oh, okay. Do you, I don't know if you know this, but at that point, I think as, as of last year, Mike Trout and Albert Pujols at the same age in their career, their numbers were identical. But then now you're, taking, you're not taking into consideration this guy can play some center field too. Okay, I like that. All right. Uh, raw home run power or blazing speed on the bases? blazing speed on the bases it's it's kind of uh you take that fast runner or chris davis so, <laughs> all right magic speed johnson doesn't slump right that's right speed kills uh magic johnson jersey or lebron jersey magic okay all right here we go old school baseball or new school analytics we may have already answered this one old school baseball i mean i, oh, I, I love old school I, yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. These next two, these, these might be a little tougher. These are the last two. All right. You're not the manager of the Dodgers anymore. Head coaching job at your alma mater, UCLA, or head coach at Loyola Marymount? Oh, no brainer. I'm going to UCLA. No way I can manage really? my, my son. I... <laughs> We've had plenty of battles. So your son, Cole, goes to Loyola. He would, he would kill me. And so the funny thing is that he got drafted by the Padres last year uh, out of high school. And he's like, if I get drafted again going forward, the one team I don't want to get drafted by is the Dodgers. So I would <laughs> never want to coach my son again. Man, I'm going to have to talk to Cole, man. It would be great to, to play for your dad. No way. No, I mean, because then if you don't play him, you just be like, Dad, what the heck, man? Let's go, <laughs> let's go over dinner. Like, Dad, what? And then you go, you're grounded. Go to your room, Cole. That's right. All right, here's the tough one. You can steal back this. The 2016 Red Sox World Series trophy or the 2017 Houston Astros World Series trophy? Which one are you stealing? The 2017. <laughs> okay, we'll let you off the hook. That's it. Um, our guest today, Dave Roberts, manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. My friend, I love you, buddy. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Fellas, thank you very much. This was this was awesome. I enjoyed every bit of it. Thank you. Right. Thanks for your honesty and uh, go blue. All right, love it. Go blue. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.